All right, Zechariah chapter 3 tonight. The first thing I want to do as we get into this chapter tonight is start out with sort of the cast, if you will, of the chapter. This is the fourth of eight visions that Zechariah is given by the Lord to encourage the people of God. And we're going to talk more about this. I I want you tonight to make this chapter very personal. I want you to put yourself in the place of Joshua the high priest tonight. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But before we do, let me list the cast of characters, if you will, tonight from Zechariah chapter 3. First of all, in Zechariah 3.1, you see Zechariah. He says, next, I, Saul. So Zechariah is in this passage of scripture. And then there is Joshua the high priest. Now this isn't the same Joshua that the book of Joshua is named after. Joshua is obviously a very common Hebrew name. This is Joshua the high priest uh, in Zechariah's day. Then you'll also see in verse 1 that Joshua was standing before the angel of the Lord. Again, this is a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. When you see the definite article before the angel, angel of the Lord, when it says the angel of the Lord, I believe that that's what's called in theology a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus pre-Bethlehem. You say, how do you differentiate between an angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord? Well, if you read the Old Testament, you will find when there are just angels of the Lord and a human being is interacting with them, if they try to worship an angel of the Lord, the angel always like is freaking out going, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm just an angel. I'm just a created being like you. Whenever Uh, They try to worship the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord accepts and receives worship because he should. He is the eternal son of God, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The other character here is Satan in verse 1, who is standing at the right hand to accuse. And then one other sort of cast members, if you will. If you look down in verse 4, there's a group of witnesses who are standing all around witnessing this vision as well as Zechariah is doing. All right, so those, those are the main characters, though, four of them. Uh, Zechariah, the, the witness, the main witness who's writing all this about. Uh, Joshua, the high priest, the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and Satan. Now, this passage reminds us of a supernatural reality and the malice of the evil one, our spiritual enemy, Satan, the devil, okay? Uh, but as we approach this chapter, I, I want to caution us with this. Uh, some folks tend to exaggerate this reality of us dealing with a spiritual enemy and the evil one, and they make everything in their life about the devil and what he's doing. That's too much. But there are other Christians that totally dismiss the presence of the devil in their life, and that they don't ever attribute his activity to anything that goes on. And that's just as bad 
of a response. The Bible gives us a balanced response, uh, a balanced view of our spiritual warfare, of our interaction with our spiritual enemy. But there is no doubt, and you see it here in this chapter, it is a supernatural reality. We are, as God's people, under the attack of a spiritual enemy whom the Bible calls the devil or Satan. In fact, listen to some of these verses after I read verse 1. Next I saw Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan. By the way, in the, in the Hebrew Bible, it's literally with the Satan. Uh, there's a definite article there uh, before Satan. Uh, because there are a lot of accusers, but he is the Satan. The chief accuser standing at his right hand to accuse him. Now, we know the Bible, again, tells us about the reality of this interaction that we're going to have with our spiritual enemy. Listen to this verse out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, where Peter tells us as Christians, Be sober, be vigilant and alert, because your enemy, the devil, is on the prowl like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. In Revelation 12, 10, we read this. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the ruling authority of His Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who accuses them day and night before our God, has been thrown down. Notice that the Bible tells us that Satan, as our accuser, is always accusing God's people before God day and night. And then we know this very familiar verse out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12, where the Apostle Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. The Bible presents the reality of a Satan, of a devil, of the enemy, chief enemy of our soul. Now, what precipitated this vision? Or what's going on here? Why is Satan accusing the high priest? Well, first of all, Joshua the high priest is representative of all the people of God. I mean, that's what the high priest was. He was a representative of all the people of God. So when Joshua stands in this place, in this position, it's as if all the people of God are standing there. And if Joshua the high priest can be accused, then anybody can be accused. And I think that this passage, this chapter will mean more to you especially when you see the marvelous provision that God gives in the face of the malice of our evil enemy, if you put yourself right there in the place of where Joshua is as he stands before the angel of the Lord with Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Now, what's this all about? Well, if you go down to verse 3, notice what the Bible says. Zechariah 3.3, 3. now Joshua, the high priest, was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood there before the angel. Literally in the Hebrew, the words filthy clothes mean excrement. I mean, that gives you a very vivid picture here, doesn't it? 
That's pretty filthy as he's standing there. And the thing is that he's the representative. And he's the high priest. And it's if Zechariah, the the prophet of God, is being reminded that it just shows who we are before a holy God. We're sinners. We have filthy clothes. Uh, The Bible teaches there's none righteous, no, not one, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Paul says in the book of Romans. So when it comes right down to it, any of us who are standing there before the Lord, we're going to look filthy. That's just the way it is. All Satan has to do is point. With Jesus, he had to make up stuff. Uh, he, He had to, you know... Trump up charges. He he had to get people to lie about Jesus at his trial. But Satan doesn't have to lie. The, the, The truth of all of us being filthy before God is something that is undeniable. It's irrefutable. We all, like Joshua the high priest, would be standing there in filthy garments. We are sinners. That's who we are. And Satan is more than happy to point that out. He's always there to say, look! Look at them! Look at all the mistakes they've made. Look at all the failures. Look at all the things that they've done wrong. He's very good at that. In fact, as Revelation says, he does it day and night. But... Here's why God, I think, included this chapter in the Bible. Let's remember a little bit of the backstory here. And why this is representative of each and every one of us, including each and every person of God in Zechariah's day. Remember, they were, had been exiled and had come back from their exile. And they were trying to rebuild Their nation, they were trying to rebuild Jerusalem, they were trying to rebuild the temple, they were trying to rebuild their own lives, and they were, they were meeting all kinds of challenges and, and discouragement and all of that. And and the people of God needed to be encouraged. And one of the things that Satan will do, and this is very timely for us as a church, one of the things that Satan will do when he tries to discourage God's work from getting done, and to try to distract from God's work getting done, is he'll just start picking off each of us individually. He won't attack us all at the same same time, sort of corporately, but what he will do is try to get us off by ourselves, isolated, and start working on us, if you will. Because Satan understands, if I can start getting a few people to get distracted, if I can get a few people discouraged and get them down to where they're not going to step up and help and participate and join in in the work, then the work of God will be affected. You see. And that's Satan's strategy. That's what he's going to try to do here at the Oasis. He's going to try to attack each of us individually, not as one together in unison. That's why the Bible uses the metaphor of the lion as a a good 
accurate metaphor for the way the devil operates. Because like a lion, lions don't attack groups. Lions will wait out there and look for the weakest, the sickest, the one that's lagging behind in their pack. And that's the one the lion goes after. The lion's not going to expend more energy than it has to to get a meal, you see. So the lion always looks for the one that's isolated, the one that's, that's sick, the one that's hurting, the one that's in pain. And Satan does the very same thing. Satan doesn't fight fair. Satan will look for those who are down and keep kicking them while they're down. Because Satan understands, if I can start getting each and every individual person of God in a bad place, then that will affect the overall work. And obviously, he'll start with the leaders. That's why Joshua the high priest is mentioned here, and why Zerubbabel, the king at that point, is going to be mentioned in chapter 4 next week when we look at that. But here's what I want us to see tonight. In spite of the supernatural reality and malice of the evil one, this chapter's been given us to show us the marvelous provision that God gives to us in light of the attack of the evil one upon us. And the first thing that we see here in chapter 3 is the defense that Jesus Christ mounts for his people. Notice after the Bible says that Satan... The Satan, the chief accuser, is standing at the right hand to accuse. The Lord says to Satan, May the Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, representative of all the people of God, rebuke you. For this man is like a burning stick snatched from the fire. Notice that here in Zechariah chapter 3, the Lord defends Joshua the high priest from every charge, from every accusation. And that's what Jesus, our high priest, does for you and me every day. Satan is there to accuse. Satan is there to point out all of our sins and all the things that we've done wrong. And Jesus stands up as our defense, as our advocate, and rebukes Satan. And one thing, when Jesus rebukes you, you don't want to be rebuked by Jesus. I'm sure the smirk that Satan had on his face was wiped away when the Lord rebuked him. I think about a couple times in the Bible where the Lord did rebuke something. The Bible tells us in Psalm 106 that the Lord rebuked the Red Sea and it parted so that his people could cross on dry ground. He literally shouted at the Red Sea and the Bible says it parted and it dried up. We know that in the New Testament, the Bible tells that Jesus, when this great storm was over the Sea of Galilee, that Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves And everything was instantaneously calm after the rebuking of Jesus. And Jesus is there to defend his people. And he rebukes Satan's accusations. 
Listen to these verses out of the book of Romans, where Paul tells us, who will bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is the one who will condemn? Christ, the one who died, and more than that, was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who is also interceding for us. Romans 8, 33 and 34. The Bible teaches us that as the people of God, Jesus isn't there to accuse. Jesus isn't there to point the finger. That's what our enemy tries to do. Try to dredge up every last sin we've ever done. And we've got to realize, just like Joshua the high priest, that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ will defend us to the nth degree. Because he's not about accusing us. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. If you feel condemned, that's not coming from God your Savior. That's coming either from within your own self or from somebody else, or that's coming from your spiritual enemy, the devil. But it's not coming from Jesus. He's not going to accuse you. He's not going to condemn you. He's actually going to stand up for you, and he's going to defend you every time. Jesus defends his people. And I want you to see yourself in this passage. I don't want you to just look at this as, well, that's nice. He did that for Joshua, the high priest. He does that for every one of us. Because the Bible tells us Satan is always accusing us day and night before our God. That's the first thing. But then notice this. We also see the cleansing that Jesus provides. The cleansing that Jesus provides. Look at verse 4. The angel spoke up to those standing around and said, Remove his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, I have freely forgiven your iniquity and will now dress you in fine clothing. And then I love this. Zechariah gets caught up in the moment. He knows that the high priest wears a turban. So it's like you can see Zechariah going, ooh, ooh, put a turban on his head. Put a turban on his head. I mean, you see that here. Zechariah spoke up and said, let a clean turban be put on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood nearby. You see, here's the thing. God not only takes away our filthy clothes. He gives us a robe of righteousness to wear. That's what this is teaching. So often, as Christians, we focus on the forgiveness of our sin, and that's awesome when you think about it. The forgiveness that is offered through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But we don't focus as much on the fact that we also are granted a righteousness that is not ours. In its place. Let me share a couple things and then I want to share a couple verses. When the angel of the Lord says to Joshua, I have freely forgiven, literally in the Hebrew language, it means to pass over. Where's that take your mind, right? I passed over your iniquity. That takes us back to the Passover. 
to the Israelites in Egypt before the death angel came and the firstborn of all those in Egypt would be taken that night. And God had made provision for his people. He says, if you will apply the blood to your doorposts, and if you trust in my provision, I will pass over your house and your firstborn will be spared. And to this day, the Jews observe and celebrate the Passover. We now know that our Passover is Jesus Christ. You see. Let me read a couple of these verses. I love this one out of Isaiah 61, verse 10. It talks about being given new clothing from the Lord. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I will be overjoyed because of my God. For he clothes me in garments of deliverance. He puts on me a robe symbolizing vindication. I look like a bridegroom when he wears a turban as a priest would. I look like a bride when she puts on her jewelry. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made the one who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. You get the picture, right? Jesus took our filthy clothes upon himself on the cross. He absorbed all the filthiness, all the sin, all the iniquity upon himself and then gave us in exchange for believing in his provision a robe of righteousness. I mean, wow. And these are, these are truths, these are facts that you and I need to apply to our life every day. Why? Because the, the Satan and his minions will seek to accuse and attack quite often. And we've got to understand, wait a minute. These accusations, this condemnation, all of this, this isn't coming from the Lord. This is coming from my spiritual enemy. And my Jesus is defending me. Not only has he defended me and freely forgiven me, he's given me his righteousness in place of all these filthy garments. And then we see, down here in verse 6, the challenge now that Jesus gives to Joshua. Having been forgiven, Jesus now calls and commissions his high priest and basically says, if you will continue to follow me and be obedient to my principles, then there will be two privileges that you will enjoy. You will enjoy the continued usefulness in my kingdom and you will enjoy deepening communion with me. Look at what he says. Then the angel of the Lord exhorted Joshua solemnly. The Lord who rules over all says, If you live and work according to my requirements, then you will be able to preside over my temple and attend to my courtyards. In other words, I'll continue to use you. 
You will be an instrument in my hands as long as you follow me and are obedient. And then secondly, notice what he says. And I will allow you to come and go among others who are standing by you now. Meaning, I'll give you deeper and deeper access to me. Deeper communion, deeper fellowship, as long as you just keep following me. And I I love, too, what Jesus says here. He says, if you live and work according to my... In other words, Jesus saying, I'm looking for followers who will be consistent, who will be transparent, who won't be one thing at home and then another thing at work. Or they won't be one thing at church and then another thing somewhere else. That their life and their, their work and their school and all of this, that there will be a consistency there. You see. That's what God's looking for. And God says, now that you have been forgiven, now that you have this righteousness that is not yours. Keep on following me because I want to use you and I want to commune even deeper with you. I want you to get to know me in a greater way so that that will be an encouragement to you. One other thing, but it's a biggie. Look at verse 8. And this is where we see the deliverance that Jesus brings. We've seen the defense that Jesus mounts. We've seen the cleansing that Jesus provides. We've seen the challenge that Jesus issues to all of us. And now we see the deliverance that Jesus brings. It says, listen now, Joshua the high priest. Both you and your colleagues who are sitting before you, all of you are a symbol or a signpost that I am about to introduce my servant, the branch. As for the stone I have set before Joshua, on that one stone there are seven eyes. And I am about to engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord who rules over all, to the effect that I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. And that day, says the Lord who rules over all, everyone will invite his friend to fellowship under the vine and under his fig tree. There's a lot here, but I've got the time to cover it tonight. So let's dive into it. First of all, notice up there in verse 8 that we learn that Joshua and his friends are signs who point to another still to come in the future. For us... We are to be signposts pointing to another as well. We're to point people to Jesus too. To the one who's already come and who's coming again. That's part of our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ. To be a signpost. To be like John the Baptist. Behold! Look! The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, and then told his followers, now you are the light of the world. You are to be out there illuminating people, pointing people to me. That's what we are to be as a church. That's what we are to be as individuals. That's what Joshua and Zechariah were to be as well. And you'll notice here in this passage of Scripture, before we even get to the deliverance that is brought by Jesus, that we have a 
a description of the Messiah. And he's given three titles here. The first one he's given is my servant. And doesn't that remind you of the passage in Isaiah 53 where the Bible says in verses 5 and in verse 11, My servant will acquit many, for he carried their sins. He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well, and because of his wounds we have been healed. The servant of the Lord, Isaiah 53. But notice also he's called the branch. He's called the branch because he will be this little shoot, this little descendant of David that will spring up like a a shoot or a branch. And it won't look like much to begin with, but oh my goodness, what it will become. What his kingdom will become. We read about this in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. Listen to this verse. I, the Lord, promise that a new time will certainly come when I will raise up for them a righteous branch, a descendant of David. He will rule over them with wisdom and understanding and will do what is just and right in the land. Jeremiah 23, 5. That's why the Messiah is not only called the servant of the Lord, he's called the branch because he's going to be a descendant of David who will shoot up. And then finally, notice in verse 9, he's called the one stone. We know what that's referring to in the Bible. He is the cornerstone, the stone which the builders discarded or rejected. Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23. The stone which the builders discarded has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's work. We consider it amazing, the psalmist says. Three different aspects or descriptions of the Messiah. The Messiah who has seven eyes, which speaks of his perfect understanding, if you will, because he sees all. And the Lord says, I'm about to engrave an inscription on this stone. I believe that that could refer to the scars that Jesus will bear for all of eternity in his hands and in his feet and in his side from the cross. But here's what I want us to focus on tonight. The deliverance that Jesus can bring in our lives. The Bible says, I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. And yes, that is referring to a future time. When Israel and Jerusalem and all of that will be restored. And where Jesus will come and reign as king on the earth. And everything will be restored again. But even before that. What had to happen was, on the cross, Jesus had to deal with and take away and put away sin. And that's exactly what the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 9, verse 26. But now Christ has appeared once for all at the consummation of the ages to put away sin by His sacrifice. To take care of sin once and for all in an instant. Think of the thief on the cross. The one was, was mocking and, and, and uh, you know, 
insulting Jesus, and the other one turns to Jesus and says, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. In an instant, I will take care of sin. I will remove it from your life. Now, the reason I want us to see this tonight is because it's amazing that we as Christians can say, yeah, I trust in the provision and the deliverance that Jesus and his blood can give me for my salvation. And I trust that he can take care and put away my sin in its totality, in an instant, by me just trusting in what he's done. And yet throughout our Christian life, we do not trust him for the deliverance of much less. If Jesus Christ is great enough and strong enough to be able to put away the sin of the world in an instant, then he is strong enough to deliver you and I from anything that stands in our way and has become a barrier to us and our God. That means he can put away our fear. It means he can put away our depression. It means he can put away our doubt. It means he can put away anything if he can put away our sin. And Zechariah and Joshua are being reminded of this deliverance that God can bring. He's not only a God who will defend us. He's not only a God who will not only defend us and take away our sin, but robe us in his righteousness. He is a God who will continue to deliver us from everything that puts a drag on us spiritually in our life. that keeps us from being all that we can be for God, that keeps us from reaching our potential. He can take care of it. He can deliver. And we've got to believe that Jesus Christ can still deliver us from all evil, as the psalmist says. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so what a, what a scene here that Zechariah has been given. What a vision Zechariah has been given. He's literally been allowed to sort of come into the very presence of the Lord in heaven and see what goes on on a daily basis. He sees Joshua the high priest representatively standing there before the angel of the Lord, but he also sees Satan right there just constantly accusing. And yet... In all of that, what he really sees beyond all that is, yes, he needs to be aware that he has an enemy of his soul. Someone who's always trying to discourage and bring up and throw up his sin in his face. Just like he did with Joshua. And it's not that Satan has to make anything up with us like he did Jesus. All he has to do is point. It's there. We are filthy before the Lord. But the Lord defends his people. And the Lord cleanses his people by giving us a robe of righteousness that is not ours. And the Lord will deliver his people. And all he asks of us in return is after all that he's done will do for us is just keep following me and be obedient to what I'm asking you to do. So that I can use you. And so that you can develop a deeper communion with me as your God.
This spiritual warfare is a reality. And there is the malice of the evil one. But more than that, I want you to take home with you tonight the marvelous provision of God in the face of the malice of our evil one. Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us this scene, this vision. Because, Lord, we need to be reminded of this so that we can truly appreciate who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. That we stand before you, Lord, all of us, just like Joshua the high priest in filthy garments. But, Lord, when we are one of your people, you will rebuke Satan every time. And you will defend us to the hilt. And you will take away our filthy garments and you will give us a robe of righteousness that we can stand before you in. And you will deliver us from all evil, from anything that stands in our way. May we just keep following you, Lord, and being obedient to your commands. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. May we apply these truths to our life each and every day. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. We'll see you next week.